This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Garage Logic Podcast number oh. 129, April 2nd, 2019. Mm. 84 degrees on this day in 2015 and 9. In 1975, hit it. Oh, and now, <laughs> from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, director of Just social keep media, it up. John Hyde in the news. Want to get replaced by golf carts? Kenny from the Krabby Coffee. We need a show meeting. Here is your flashlight <laughs> on air show meeting. Commissioner and keeper Take that down. Sense. I'm in a hurry. <laughs> I might be going into this a little rushed, but I uh, have made uh, contact with a guy named uh, uh, Rudy Pasucci. He is the uh, head of the uh, Palm Beach Museum of Natural History, and he was part of the field team led by Robert De Palma, who discovered a uh, fossilized burial ground in Bowman, North Dakota, southwestern North Dakota, that pretty much is a snapshot of the day the dinosaurs died 66 million years ago as a result of an asteroid hitting the Earth and devastating about 90% of the Earth's living things. And uh, if you, you, can, you can go ahead and call him. Uh, I, why this is uh, becoming news just today, seven years after the fact, I do not know, but I would like to know that. But this sounds like one of the most amazing Discoveries in the world of paleontology. Huge. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's in our backyard, which is why I wanted to get a hold of this guy. And Rudy Pasucci, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, was with De Palma when he began to tease out the story of the tangled fossils. Uh, It's amazing. They found freshwater and saltwater fish. At that time, North Dakota was a tropical paradise. Uh, Rudy, are you with us? Rudy? Hello, is it? Yes, Joe, I'm here. Is it, is it Pasucci? It's Pascucci. Pascucci. And uh, Rudy, you were with, uh, you were part of the team uh, led by Robert De Palma back in, what is it, 2012? 2013, actually. 2013. Why are are we only hearing about it now in the real world? I suppose in the paleontology world, it's been well known, but why am I only reading about it now? Because uh, in science, uh, and this is typical of uh, the, what you see in the general press and the general, uh, you know, the popular magazines, uh, this is nothing that's put out, uh, the, the, the research is nothing that's done in a cavalier manner. Mm-hmm. When you might, uh, find a discovery of this caliber, um, anything particularly, you're going to want to then check all of the previous work that's been done, read all the scientific papers. You don't want to put something out there and then find out some fellow did it 20 years earlier. Right. Um, so you're going to read that and make sure you know what you're talking about. You're going to consult with your colleagues. Maybe you'll draft up a paper uh, and send it around to them. Um, perhaps you're going to need an expert in one particular field or another, so you may invite a co-author to come in and uh, add his expertise. Um, and it will go around your local uh, uh, contacts. When the paper is finally, and that's going to go back and forth as everybody makes recommendations, when it's finally ready, you're going to submit that paper 
to a, 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 a magazine or a, you know, a scientific journal for publication. They're going to do what's called a blind uh, review. They're going to send it out to interviewers you do not know. And those people will then review it, make comments, make recommendations, questions. Hey, we're not clear on this or that. It comes back to the, 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 the team at that point, and it goes around again as you all make your corrections. And then it goes back to the journalists. can go back and forth and back and forth. And, uh, for instance, Robert um, published, uh, uh, we discovered the uh, proof that T-Rex is an active predator, not just a scavenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was actually discovered in 2009. It wasn't published until 2013. It took four years for that particular paper. This sounds like the kind of science I understand. This is this is careful science. You're you're waiting to prove something. Yes, absolutely. This uh, this again, it's it's uh, nothing that was done uh, sensationally. You know, uh, just to get it out there and, and uh, cavalierly put it out there without backing up the facts. You know, uh, it's just not done that way. It's and a fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. a fascinating story how De Palma uh, came across the site. Could you explain that uh, for us a little? Yes, we were actually on the way to our uh, regular dig site, which we've had uh, for many years in South Dakota, and uh, that would be in Harding County. It's in the extreme northwest uh, corner of South Dakota, and just over the border, someone mentioned to us, "Hey." There's a, a flood deposit up there that has a lot of uh, fish skeletons in it. You guys might want to go look at it. So being you know nearby, we said, sure, let's go on up there. We'll spend a week. Now, as we get onto the site, uh, you know, uh, and, and actually, the, the, you know, I've seen this deposit as described as something between a one meter, a meter and a half thick. That's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. That is the KT boundary itself, which appears as about a, a that thickness, you know, a meter or so. A, a black uh, l- layer, I mean, three feet, okay, for uh, people, uh, that runs around the buttes out there. You can see it, okay? There's the KT boundary that was laid down. It's a well-known um, deposit that was made at that time. The KT meaning the Cretaceous Tertiary Boundary. That's the split between the time of the dinosaurs and our time. All right. Um, now, the actual deposit uh, is, you know, a couple of hundred uh, yards long, we'll say, 50 yards to 100 yards wide maybe 20 feet thick, and runs up the side of a canyon. So we uh, went up to the, the head of this, and this has been worked before by other people. This, this site was known. There are, people who do this, there are people who do this professionally, right, hoping to find stuff they can sell? Yeah, there are commercial paleontologists yeah. uh, that uh, will sell the real material. Um, uh, you know, we know a few of them. Um, there's a, you know, this is a, a relationship between, um, you know, the entire paleontological community. It's, a, it's somewhat of a controversial subject. In paleontology circles, we don't at our museum sell the real material. We will sell replicas. In fact, we just sold a replica of that very piece I was mentioning, the proof of the T-Rex. We just sold a piece to the Royal Saskatchewan Museum. All right. How, how do other museums get these pieces? You know, it's such a unique piece for display, unless people make replicas and, you know, you send them out. So... Um, Back to what we were talking about, we began digging on this, and, you know, the fish were in remarkable preservation, 3D. Uh, there was one pit I was working on, uh, had a, a tree trunk about four inches in diameter, about five feet long, coming down at a 45-degree angle through the strata. And at the base of that, there were fish skeletons uh, wrapped around it as if the fish had been caught in the flood and hung up on this, uh, this tree trunk. It was loaded with plants and all, all description of, of small bits. Now, not dinosaurs. And that's important to note because people have said, well, where are the dinosaurs associated with this? Well, 
it's the, it's the impact killed the dinosaurs. If we look at the Chichilou crater itself, you know, there, there are no dinosaurs associated with that crater. They're not within a million years has anybody found a dinosaur that was killed by the asteroid. Uh, that evidence has never been found. That's why this is so remarkable. This is the afternoon of, the morning of. This is within two to four hours of that impact. Good Lord. Um, Good Lord. Yeah. This, is, this is an asteroid collision 66 million years ago. Yeah, the asteroid hit Chichilou. Uh, in the Yucatan uh, in, Peninsula. In, in Yucatan Peninsula and drove a um, crater. 20, 30 miles deep, 150 wow. miles wide. Now, the crust of the Earth is, you know, basically silicon oxide. It's, it's glass. It's the same, you know, same thing you have in your windows. And mm-hmm. what's going to do is it's gonna, there's going to be a rebound cone that goes to get a ejecta that goes back into space. That's all that material. And it'll be molten. When it gets hits that colder atmosphere, it's going to solidify. And what's it going to solidify into? Small glass BBs mm-hmm. called tectites. Mm-hmm. They begin to rain down um back onto the Earth, most of them within two to four hours. So here we're looking at this at this, this deposit. First, we noticed this thing is stratified, and we later checked it, uh, much as the uh, strata we see from the uh, Indonesian tsunami that struck in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. layer upon layer upon layer, and the fissure embedded in there along with everything else I mentioned. But as you go along one, at each particular strata, there's a little dimple, and at the bottom of that dimple is a little clay BB. Well... At the center of that clay BB is a piece of glass. Well, glass will decay into clay like that over millions of years. So, hey, these obviously are glass BBs falling from the sky, hitting the wet mud, being covered by the next layer with additional ones raining down over a period of time. What are they? These are tectites. This is an asteroid impact. And, you know, at that point, you know, Robert's putting, you know, these pieces together. It was amazing to watch him you know, go through this process, this process of scientific discovery, of seeing the evidence in the field and, you know, adding one plus one and coming up with two and then two plus two is four. He, you know, he noticed, hey, we're only, we're a few feet beneath that KT boundary line that we were talking about. I've got tectites. I've got a flood. Hey, I think this may be related to that asteroid impact. And that's what you were Um, able to, that's what you were able to determine. Well, after a much research right. and bringing other people in, what we did was every asteroid impact, those tectites carry a unique chemical signature once you use the, a, a mass spectrometer to an, analyze them. So where is the nearest correlated layer to that Chichilub crater that's absolutely known to where we are here in, in Florida? And it, it's Haiti, right? <laughs> All right, so in January of 2014, Robert and I went to Haiti, and we collected um, – some of these uh, from that, uh, that that layer there brought them back, and you know Robert through his analysis, they're an exact match. These are tectites formed by that Chichilub impact. Is this no the most important discovery of its kind ever? Of its kind, uh, yeah. I mean, other than the fact that uh, you know finding the initial Chichilub crater, which was a task, Walter Alvarez uh, and his you know his father Lewis, uh, I believe, came up with. Uh, uh, this theory, he actually found the layer, the iridium layer, uh, as we'll call it, in Italy, and then uh, you know discussed it with his father, who was uh, you know at Berkeley at the time, I believe, and the two of them came up with the idea that hey, this was related to an asteroid impact dating from the time of the extinction. Perhaps that's what caused it. But where is the crater? No one knew where the crater was, so that was the hunt for the crater in the 1980s. Well, that crater turned up. Um, found through drilling cores, you know, private oil, oil companies had those in Mexico. And once there was access gained to those, which is a whole story in itself, 
Then the crater, you could analyze that data. Yes, the crater, you can't go see it. It's buried today. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's the thing's 150 miles wide. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, not something you can go see, but it's there. I'm terribly impressed. Um, I'm terribly impressed with the thoroughness of your science. I'm just curious, as an aside, where do guys like you stand on man-made climate change? I don't mean that um, facetiously. I mean, the science you're describing seems far more thorough than the science I'm supposed to believe about man-made climate change. Well, you know, the thing with man-made climate change, here, here's what everybody's concerned with. It's not that the weather does not change, okay, and the climates on Earth do not change. Uh, we're on a spinning ball of rock going through space, and mm-hmm. there are several cycles that uh, govern uh, the temperatures and, and the climate here, and they are called Fairbridge and Milankovitch cycles. They run in 25,000, 40,000, and 100,000-year uh, cycles there, and they have to do with the orbital geometry, the tip, tilt of the axis of the Earth. And on top of that, continents shift on the face of the earth you know north america and south america were isolated three million years ago about three million years ago they came together in that word we all love the isthmus of panama mm-hmm. uh, you know before that there was a, a current that ran around the equator um, once those continents joined that current can't get through anymore and now it what does it do it begins to circle in a gyre, you know, down to Antarctica, bringing them warm water of you know down to antarctic cold water back to the equator does that in the atlantic too you know, just about that time, we have the ice ages beginning. So, you know, things that uh, we're on, an, the climate is unstable, um, and uh, it's going to change. Now, what everybody's concerned about today is the rate of change. And um, I'm you know, not, by the subject. way. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're concerned about the rate of change. Well, I will say this, okay? There's no such thing as settled science, all right? There's no settled science. What, and when people say there's a consensus on something, what consensus means in science is, at this moment, this is the best theory that we have. That does not mean stop looking, stop questioning. Science is a process of continually questioning our findings. If you can come up with a better theory of gravity, let's see it. If we can replicate your, your, your experiments and everybody agrees, that's the best theory we have at the moment. That's the new theory of gravity, the best we have at the moment. It does not mean settled science, stop looking. That's not science. Compare that to your find in North Dakota. Wouldn't you consider that settled science? No, you know, we, we, uh, you're, we're going, we have people that are going to continue to analyze that. We have several more papers, Robert has, All right. several more papers that are going to be coming out. Um, research is continuing. He's been back to the site with teams. Um, he's been back to the site with Walter Alvarez. You know, we've added Walter Alvarez wanted to be a, a co-author on the paper. Uh, Dr. Phil Manning at a uh, university uh, over in uh, Manchester, England, wanted to be there. I think Nat Geo was planning uh, to do uh, some sort of a show uh, regarding it. Um, yeah, it continues, and we will. Con- you know, it's like a treasure trove. Um, God knows what we're going to find in there still. Where do you, where do you, where do you, where, where will it lead us? Where will it lead us? What, what do you hope to uh, uh, conclude definitively? Where where do you think this will take you? Well, we're, you know, we're hoping that this adds to the theory that the asteroid caused the extinction of the dinosaurs, Uh, which is, you know, that's, that's interesting in itself, but uh, 
you know, as a famous paleontologist, uh, uh, Bob Bakker, if you uh, know who that is, one of the most famous paleontologists in the United States. I led an expedition in 2001 in Wyoming with him. And, you know, Dr. Bob said me, uh, told me, uh, you know, don't, don't ask me why the dinosaurs uh, disappeared. Tell me why the frogs survived. Look at all the animals that did survive. Not everything went extinct. Right. Why yeah. did they survive? What was the difference? And as we know now, not all the dinosaurs did go extinct. All right. Um, out of a place in uh, China, Liaoning, over the past 20 years, there is every transitional form that we need showing the complete development of feathers from raptors to modern birds. So those birds you see up in the trees, that, that, that chicken sandwich you get at Chick-fil-A, okay, um, that, uh, you know, directly related to our dinosaurs. They're directly tied. Um, might be a stretch to say the birds are directly our dinosaurs, but they certainly stem from that line. Rudy, when this asteroid hit, it changed mm-hmm. the climate um, uh, instantly, right? And for a long, long time, uh, for much of the Earth, how much of the Earth did this asteroid strike change? Well, the entire Earth, obviously, the entire Earth. Now, you know, uh, on this hemisphere, okay, yeah, we're going to have the immediate effects that are going to stretch out for thousands of miles. That the asteroid's going to come screaming through the atmosphere. It's pushing a superheated, compressed air mass in front of it that's going to uh, ignite uh, fires all over the place. Um, When it strikes, it's going to cause massive earthquakes beyond anything else that we possibly experience. Um, and it is actually those earthquakes that are, are the key to uh, the findings there that Robert made. Um, because, again, as you analyze the uh, what happened on that day, you know, North America uh, at that time was actually three large islands. Uh, there was an ocean that went right up through what is now the Great Plains, straight huh. on through Canada, wow. split North America. It's called the Cretaceous Intercontinental Seaway. And where uh, you're looking there in, uh, in running basically through the a line north-south through Colorado, uh, Wyoming, uh, curling through the Montana into the Dakotas. That's ocean shore at the time. Um, now, the tidal wave caused by that impact would not have reached North Dakota in time to capture these falling tektites, and that was one of the criticisms leveled at the paper. All right, you need to go back and reconsider what could have happened. Well, there would have been a series of massive earthquakes, as I mentioned, Seismic waves will travel through the rock much faster, hmm. and those would have hit in three successive waves in time to capture, capture those uh, falling tektites. What would have happened is all the river basins, all the water bodies would have been uh, shaken, uh, much like the water in a bathtub would have been sloshed back and forth, sure. causing all those local floods and that, that mud, those mud deposits. So... Um, that would have happened. Of course, everything, the concussion would, and the earthquakes would have just knocked everything else off of their feet. Trees would have been blasted flat for, you know, thousands of miles. Um, and a lot of that, you know, other than the tektites thrown in the atmosphere, we would have had dust that would have clouded the, uh, the sunlight out. We would have gone into a nuclear winter for several years. And did that, in and, turn, cause the Ice Age? That nuclear no, that, winter? That, uh, you got to dumb it a, down for us. Not an ice age, yeah, not an ice age, but it would have caused nuclear winter for several years. Okay. So you would have had vegetation uh, dying off or becoming less than it was. The large animals uh, would have suffered from that. Uh, of course, you know, again, not everything survived. We're here. Mammals survived that extinction. Mm. Now, why? Uh, well, you know, mammals at the time were pretty much nocturnal. We were small, maybe squirrel size, no bigger than a, a, a say a large dog. 
I think was the largest mammal at that time. Most of the mammals back then, and I know your audience is going to love this, were insectivores. <laughs> all right, so you know, you know, you're not going to kill all the insects with this asteroid impact. If there's if there's a couple of cockroaches left, you know, three weeks later the world's going to be covered in cockroaches. <laughs> you know, so Rudy, this could happen. This could happen again, right? This could happen again. It most sure, assuredly will happen again. So mm-hmm. here's here's your lesson for humanity. All uh, right, you know, uh, live it up. Let's party. <laughs> Tap well, the keg. Party. Don't live it up. Keep looking up. As, uh, you know, yeah, uh, look up. There you go. Jack Horkheimer, you know, uh, of, uh, from, from down here in Miami used to say, you know, keep watching the skies. Yeah, these things are out there, and there's always a chance that another one's going to hit us. It's almost a certainty that another one's going to hit us. Oh, boy. You need to be prepared for that. Before I let you go, because uh, I know you were on a tight time frame down there uh, mm-hmm. at the uh, museum, what... Uh, what ultimately can we expect to to uh, to take away from this? Well, I you know it's again it's the uh, uh, it's the nearest proof that we have. It's the the day of the impact. It is the day the dinosaurs died. Uh, you know you can do from sixty six million years away. Uh, you know you're looking back at a. Uh, I, uh, you know, a, a two or four hour window. I always, I always wow. tried, Robert. I said, when, when are you going to tell us that the time of day was yeah. like 3 p.m. on a Tuesday? Yeah. You know, he says he's working on it. So, <laughs> um, you know. And we're fascinated we'll because this is in our backyard, Rudy. Yeah, this is, is in our backyard. Yeah. This is 300, 400 miles away from here. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Will you be going so, back to the site? Uh, I expect at some point. I know Robert's been back every year since, so whether I get a chance to get out there or not, okay, we'll see. Okay, right. um, I hope so. I appreciate your time, sir. Thank you, Rudy. All righty, Joe. Very pleasure to have uh, had, that you had me on. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. I'm just eternally fascinated. And Shoot, I, and I was going to ask him if he also thinks Mandan is a suburb of Bismarck. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, what struck me most was everything they did seems different than the kind of science mm-hmm. that the climate oh, scientists are doing. It's yeah. real, yeah. It, and it, there, there's a, there's a, a real there's ground that they can touch. There's a shovel. I can dig up this bone. See I this can fish. measure this. And yeah. what's funny, Joe, even with all this info, and they can pretty much nail it down, they're still afraid to say, this is it. Right. This was the, the factor right here. Well, what's because the, they're scientists, and they know it's always changing, and there's always more research, and there's I think, always... I think, I when I asked him, what do you guys think about man-made climate change, I think he was saying, in effect, I think it's a bunch of hooey. Well, that was, a, that was an excellent answer. Don't you think? Uh, it was a bunch of hooey. It was an excellent, very scientific answer. Very scientific answer. Cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. How smart does he sound? Oh, man. And he's the second in command. I was going to ask him. What about De Palma? I was going to say, who is your favorite? Name a sports team, just to see if he could. I'm glad you you didn't. No, I'm really, really glad. Giving you him the compliment that he's so hey, science wise, he's just intelligent. He's so How's smart. You ever tried a juicy Lucy? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite band? I'm glad I held back too. Say something about Rudy. Uh, when I called, he was very hesitant to go on, and then once he came on. He was really good. Font of information. He was really good. Uh, Right before he came on, I I Googled him and found the uh, very interesting article, maybe what you saw from uh, the New Yorker. Yes. Yeah, The Day the Dinosaurs Died. Fascinating read. Fascinating. To me, what's fascinating is you were talking to a scientist 
And he suffered. He did not suffer fools gladly. Right. This paper had to go to this guy, and then yeah. it came back. And then it had to go to that guy, <laughs> and then it came back. All day long, he has to interview and talk to dum-dums like us. Right. How <laughs> dumb is he? That's why I kept my mouth shut. I'm not going to open my mouth and let him in. Right. And I'm pretty sure I asked a couple of really dumb questions. <laughs> for, for a dummy, you were okay. You were okay no, for a dummy. No, no, no. Hey, now's the time to get your bike ready for this year's motorcycle riding season. Look at that weekend weather forecast. I hope you got in touch with DennisKirk.com. They have more than 160,000 products in stock for you and your motorcycle. They're based right here in Minnesota. Doesn't make any difference whether you ride a Harley, a Cruiser, or a sport bike. They have it. And if you're in a hurry for something you need, place an order by 8 p.m. today, and you're going to get it tomorrow. Now, that's hard to believe, but that's the way DennisKirk.com does business, and they've been doing it a long time. DennisKirk.com. Order today and get it tomorrow. ProfessionalTurf.com makes it super easy to have a beautiful lawn all season long, and it's just a click away. ProfessionalTurf.com. Now, ProTurf, they guarantee results from early spring until late fall. You're going to have the best lawn on the block, guaranteed, just like yours truly. And if you're considering a landscape project or installing or maintaining a sprinkler system, ProfessionalTurf.com can help you out there just like they did me. The best lawn on the block, it's just a click away, ProfessionalTurf.com. No. Boys. No. Boys. No. No. Clenching. No. Uh, Keep it tight. Reverse Keep it thrusters. Tight. Reverse. Keep it tight. We got a bike gun. Reverse thrusters on. <laughs> There's your seaway. This guy wears many hats, just not indoors. Joe Suchere. And John Heights News brought to us by ProfessionalTurf.com. Hi, Johnny. Where's your guitar? Hi, Kenny. Dummy. I, I forgot it. I, I did. How can you forget <laughs> well, the guitar? I, how, well, it's I, like I forgetting keep, a house. I want to keep a guitar here. Yesterday I brought in my new one because I wanted to use it, but I took it home because I wanted to practice with it last night. And then I'm thinking to myself, I have a guitar there. I don't need to take one when actually I do not have a guitar here. That was so, a long explanation. Yeah, very long. My, oh, kid, uh, my kid's more. very interested in your new guitar. He wants you to uh, answer a question on the air. On the air? Yeah. How much did it cost? Uh, it cost enough. <laughs> you got a good deal. By the you way. Can, you can look it up if you really <laughs> How about the traction you generated on Twitter with that yeah. post yesterday? Holy crap. Even, with what? Even, even Greg. The, uh, the picture guy. of the guitar? Yes. Yeah. The, the guy who designed it, Greg. Yes. Uh, even mentioned, mentioned a thank you, you uh, for me. Will you do so. us a favor? Yeah. Bring a bleeping fuzz box in. I know. Well, it's hard. You know, I'm sitting here with headphones on. I can't, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Bring a fuzz box. I do have a serious question. I'm not trying to make a joke. When I when I made, was I insulting either the guitar by saying it kind of looks cool like a classic car? No, Is that an not insult? At all. Of okay, not at all. Well, no, because some people uh, responded Since when to that. would you care if you offended him? Good point. No, Joe. I was asking if that was an offensive. If that's well, offensive how can to it, a what are you, offensive schmensive? There's nothing offensive about talking about the color but of a car. There were people that said don't equate a guitar. What do you like got? Walk up music. Well, you know what? If you want offensive, pass the mic to me. <laughs> As I said on the air, they used Fender used car paint basically in the fifties yep. when they first created the. It's a hell of a newscast so, so far. <laughs> Updating you pretty good, huh? Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Pro Turf. 
Uh, thanks. Use Kenny a coin or a pick everybody. to uh, play those strings. I used a pick yesterday. Okay. Last week it was a coin. We're getting all the dumb out of our right. system yep. that we held back right. for yeah, that right, first exactly. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Years of preparation in Minneapolis will all come down to this weekend when the final four tips off at U.S. Bank Stadium. Organizers are promising lots of free and family-friendly activities downtown for basketball fans and Minnesotans. How about the parking? Is that going to be free? Kristen Montag with Meet Minneapolis says the Final Four will bring in about 94,000 visitors. Inside the Minneapolis Convention Center, crews are setting up for FanFest, which is free for kids 12 and under. Ten bucks for adults. It'll include interactive games, autograph signings, and the ability to take a picture with the championship trophy. Uh, it's not all basketball, by the way. Maggie Habashi with the Minneapolis Final Four Local Organizing Committee says it's a sports bonanza. She says if you're even remotely interested in sports, that's where you want to be. Well, they got a little precious last night on Channel 4. They had a uh, had a shooting contest, a basketball shooting contest, between all of the various mascots in town. Oh, that's in town. Uh, Bucky, Gopher, or whatever his name is. Goldie. Goldie. Versus yeah. uh, King Rademacher. I, sure. T.C. Bear. It's a history on this Final Four. I don't remember this being a big deal when I was a kid. It wasn't. Uh, how that? How it's, this it's a massive deal now. Uh, uh, Pat's answer is that ESPN is responsible. Because the ESPN got invented, needed to fill time, and began showing college basketball to the point where it became a big deal. So does he take it seriously? Or yes. Is it a jo- he does. No, he's a basketball freak. All right. On Monday, Governor Tim Walz helped kick off a campaign centered around next year's census, one that could have huge ramifications for Minnesota. The census happens every 10 years when the federal government conducts a count of the people who live here in the U.S., and information used for everything from funding to how many seats a state has in Congress. For a state the size of Minnesota, more than $15 billion in federal funding every year is at stake in the 2020 census. Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan says even a single missed person in the census could mean a forfeited $28,000 in funding over the course of 10 years. So we need to lie. Well, we don't need to ask non-citizens any questions. Yeah, but uh, did you hear that? The more people we have, the more money we get. So now instead of three people in my house, yeah, I've got like 13. (laughs) I had a lot of people living there. I don't know who these people are, but they're not going to get the money. They don't send you a check. Send me my 28K. The state gets the money. That's all they need. Uh, to Joe's point, <laughs> to jo- what is like? What are you saying? It's like giving an alcoholic a right. jug of exactly. mad dog. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Perfect analogy. <laughs> to Joe's point, some worry if a question on citizenship is included in the census, it could keep people in Minnesota's immigrant communities from taking uh, taking part. The proposed question would ask if the person being counted is a citizen of the U.S. You don't get to be asked, even. A federal judge ruled earlier this year the census cannot ask about a person's citizenship. The Trump administration appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, who will ultimately decide whether... What's the the point of it, then? ...whether the question can be included. President Trump tweeted about the census Monday, saying it would be meaningless and a waste of money without the citizenship question. The U.S. Supreme Court will hear arguments regarding that question later. This month, every little thing has to be politicized, doesn't it? There was a an article that I forwarded to the mayor in which a woman suggested that we should let people that don't live in this country vote <laughs> mm-hmm. because That's, of wow. the because oh. of the broad scope of effects that it has you mean, in the rest you of the mean world. Like Russia, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, didn't anyway. they already in the last election? <laughs> <laughs> uh, update uh, on that murder in North Dakota in my hometown. The owner of a property management company was among the four people found slain 
at a property management company in Mandan. So that's like right on the outskirts of Bismarck, it's, right? It, it's like almost a suburb. Across the river, isn't it? It's not a suburb. It's across the river. <laughs> Police said 52-year-old Robert. Somebody was listening to the podcast on his day off. <laughs> Every national headline, suburb of Bismarck. No, no. Police said 52-year-old Robert Fockler owned RJR Maintenance and Management Company. The other victims identified Tuesday as 42-year-old Robert Fewer, 45-year-old Lois Cobb, and her husband, 50-year-old Bill Cobb, all company employees. Police have not identified a suspect or a motive or how the victims died. No weapons have been recovered. Authorities say the cause of death will be released by medical examiner. I do not get this statement. Does this make any sense? Please say the killings were specific to the people who died, huh. and there's no reason to believe the public's in danger. So they, then have, they have a motive. Yeah, they're sitting on a lot they're of They're sitting on a motive. That they're not giving out, right? Well, was, but they also said initially that none of the victims was the killer, if that makes sense. If you know right. I mean. Well, yeah, because I started thinking um, murder and then suicide. Suicide immediately, yeah. yeah. Right. Somebody so, didn't but, get their floors cleaned properly and came and took out mm-hmm. the maintenance company. Uh, Mandan is a city of about 22,000 just across the Missouri River west of Bismarck. That, of course, is the state's capital and home to about 73,000 huh. people. I so, thought that was Pierre. Or that's South Dakota, Getty. If they were a property management <laughs> company, that means that someone didn't get their payment and then went went after the, the Who knows? It can't be that frivolous. Who There's knows? no way it can be that frivolous. The police were, I watched the uh, press conference. The, the police were just as tight-lipped as possibly could be at 5 o'clock yesterday. They always know stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we learned that with the uh, uh, Jamie Kloss mm-hmm. uh, investigation. Things no, they didn't know anything. No, they knew things that they didn't release. Oh, they, yeah, they knew. We didn't, yeah, yeah. we didn't find out about it until she escaped. Like where the doors kicked in or right, shot right, in. Right, right, there, yeah. This also points to, uh, we talk about news coverage of things. Uh, I read several national stories that said it's in an isolated area. It's not in an isolated area at all. Uh, all, all of North Dakota. It's a strip mall on a main road, isn't it? All of North Dakota is isolated. Jack? I hate you all. The U.S. Uh, Census no, Bureau uh, estimated uh, the 2017 population at 22,228. John had that in the story. Thank you. Yeah. He had the 2017 Yeah, he had that number. The uh, area is, uh, it's called the Strip. And it's an area between Bismarck and Mandan. You drive on the Strip to get between the two cities, populated by a million buildings and businesses, uh, including a bowling alley, which is quite popular, that's right next to this building. It's not isolated at all. But the national stories all said isolated. How big was your mullet when you cruised that Strip in high school? I, that, uh, the bowling alley I talked about, we used to play in all the time. The band I was in, I had a mullet then. Yeah, that's I, boy. I, I Best time to uh, drive through North Dakota, middle of the night. You don't have to look at it. I don't think I need to take this. You know, you get to western North Dakota, it's gorgeous. Well, yeah, yeah. we just yeah. talked about that on the air. One night, uh, middle of the night, I'm going out to Montana. Joe, there's no traffic coming either way. I stopped the truck in the middle of the freeway, mm-hmm. used the restroom in the middle of the freeway, mm-hmm. and was back going and still didn't see You're any vehicles. You're lucky some moose didn't come and run you down. <laughs> moose. <laughs> After you get out west in North Dakota, it looks it's much prettier. I'm sorry, did Johnny say that already, too? I, I think actually Joe just said that. That's and, where I heard it. And okay. Kenny. And Kenny, yeah. All right. Is that um, how you, should we wrap it up, Joe? Are you guys, no. are you guys done making fun of North Dakota? I'll move yeah, on I to the never next did. Stories. Well, I was just going to ask Kenny, was it Mr. Chair? Is that <laughs> no, what we use, I Mr. Didn't. Chair? Number one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>
I wouldn't mind moving back there, to be truthful. So you, you, you. See you later. <laughs> I was going to say night right now, neither would Joe. Don't forget your guitar. <laughs> have all of us move. The National Rival Association, the nation's largest gun lobby, has settled on its next target on Capitol Hill. They want to block Congress from reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act. That's a 1994 law that helps victims of domestic and sexual violence. The House is set to vote on the legislation this week. It expired in February, but the bill includes a new provision aimed at curbing sexual violence by expanding law enforcement's ability to strip domestic abusers of their guns. The NRA doesn't like that. The measure chooses or closes excuse me, the so-called boyfriend loophole by barring those convicted of abusing, assaulting, or stalking a dating partner or those subject to a court restraining order from buying or owning firearms. Ever? Mm-hmm. Under current federal law, those convicted of domestic abuse can lose their guns if they are or were formerly married to the victim, live with the victim, have a child with the victim, or a parent guardian of their victim. The proposed provision would extend those who can be convicted of domestic abuse to include stalkers and current or former boyfriends or dating partners. Stress affects everyone. That's ah, overrated. Yeah. Although we cannot eliminate stress entirely from our lives, we can minimize it by choosing to live in the least toxic environments. American stress levels, according to polls, have been rising for many demographics since their low point in 2016. Common stressors include the future of America and money, along with health insurance costs. Three days a week doing that <laughs> podcast thing. When your stress goes up. Yeah. yeah. Not all demographics are affected the same way. For example, millennials have the highest average stress levels, but certain states in America have contributed more than others to elevating or decreasing stress levels. That according uh, to a new U.S. Wallet Hub poll. What's in it for Wallet Hub to do this? Serious question. I don't know. I don't what know are they gaining? What are they, they anyway? We just mentioned Wallet Hub three yeah, times. I, was I guess. Just, I was going to say they get exposure. But what are they? They're an online... Something to do with wallets? Are we... <laughs> They're a money monitor site, okay. right? Are we yes, going to get, your are we gonna get a list? The most stress- We're the least stressful state. Let's just cut to the chase. The least stressful state in wait, America? Yeah. Wait, it's got to be North Dakota. It's Minnesota. It's Minnesota. Yeah. That's correct. Come really? On. Minnesota ranks 50th with one being the most stressed. Huh. Uh, North Dakota is 47. Kenny? I would have thought Colorado would have been no, uh, the least. Because they're all that's, high. That's right in the middle. I've never met a group of happier people in my The hillbillies and the rednecks and the hippies, they all get along great. But around here, it's amazing. It's North and South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota are yep. all in the top ten or so. Yep. Huh. Yep. Yeah. Most stressed states, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Wallet Hub is a financial services Outfit, yeah, but what do they gain from this? They just uh, got publicity. Every right. news guy all in the right. country is doing this. All right, the Eagles will perform uh, 1976's Hotel California, the album in its entirety, nice in concert right. for the first time ever. Isn't somebody out of that band dead? Well, yes, yeah. Live Nation says it'll take place September 27th and 28th at MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. Don Henley, Joe Walsh, and Timothy B. Schmidt will be joined by Deacon Fry and Vince Gill for what will be the group's only North American performances of the year. Founding just member, in Vegas? Just in Vegas. Founding member Glenn Fry, as uh, Kenny said, uh, died in 2016. He's Deacon's father, of course. Oh. Hotel California is one of the uh, 10 best-selling albums of all time. In fact, it ranks number three. Who's that country guy in there for? Gill, you Vince said? Vince Gill. He's a pretty good guitar player, isn't he? He's a monster he? guitar player. Why is he part of the band? Uh, they were hugely influential to him growing up. Man, come on. But he's, I had a rough night, I and I hate the f***ing Eagles, man. But did he replace somebody specific? Uh, Fry, basically. 
you know, all right, is kind of the okay. So, John, I'm supposed to ask you from an emailer. Uh-huh. Uh Scott in Grand Rapids, ask John what he thinks of uh, former guitarist uh, of the group Chicago, Terry Kath. Uh, oh. One of my five favorite rock guitarists. Yeah. Ever. You're kidding. Oh. This guy says greatly underrated. Yeah, highly. Oh, I would From call Chicago? him perhaps the most underrated rock guitarist ever. <laughs> really? The oh, band. Yeah. Well, yeah, Scott, the band. there's your answer from the man. Go yeah. listen to the solo from 25 or 6 to 4. Oh, my it's, God. Yeah, it's huge. Stomping. And their live album. Yeah, I'm going to run out and do that. Too bad you forgot your guitar, John, all this music news. Their, huh? li- <laughs> their live album from Carnegie Hall. Uh, there's guitar work in there that's amazing. He's, he was He was wonderful. Chicago. It's not like Simon and Garfunkel. There's about 20 of them. <laughs> the whole band. You did that just so you could use that oh, line, Of course. Uh, <laughs> Why did you scoff at that? That's absolutely what? something you would look up. What, what is the that? The video John was just talking about. What are you talking about? You said, yeah, I'm going to run right out and do that. That's absolutely something I you I probably would. will. <laughs> what is the name of that movie? That Larry Day. Uh, I don't know. Something about Search Rule. of America. No, uh, it's from the show. Isn't no, it? it was in the movie. It was, okay. Yeah. Did you know uh, when I read the Seagull story, I, I had to immediately go check the list of top-selling albums that they have two of the three best-selling albums ever. Clear. Like the best of in uh, Hotel yeah. California. The greatest hits in Hotel Clear California. Clear History. Yeah, that's Clear the History. That's the name yeah. of the movie. Yeah. What's number one, Michael Jackson? Uh, thriller, Michael Jackson. What's number, number two? Uh, number two is the Eagles' greatest hits. Uh, number three is the Eagles' Hotel California. Uh, number four is Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Number five, ACDC Back in Black. Oh, wait, I skipped one. Whitney Houston, sorry. Uh, the Bodyguard soundtrack hmm. is in the top five also. So there you go. How about a GL trip to Vegas? We can watch the Eagles. I got a text yesterday from a guy in Vegas on business, and he walked by the arena. Uh, Edmonton was at Vegas last night. Oh, boy. He, he, he had his eyes open. There were strippers on stilts. <laughs> and uh, people drinking and doing uh, uh, dope outside, which sure. is apparently legal. Doing yeah. dope. Yeah. yeah, doing the dope. Well, doing the know, dope. It's just like uh, and, uh, and I texted back, man. can you imagine what it will be like when, when the NFL gets there? Oh, my God. It's going to be the most hedonistic yep. uh, chaos that's going to be imaginable. Back to John. Uh, was uh, uh, Graham Parsons anywhere on that list? Well, no, of course no, not. No, Emmy Lou. You, no, no, no. Okay, they weren't. Just Sorry. Checking. You think, of course, the Eagles stole Graham Parsons' whole act, and that's I do. Why, that's why they're famous. I do. No, I do. I, I don't totally disagree with you. A uh, new high school student shenanigans. This is why you should always have your guitar. Yeah, I know. Always. I, I forgot. <laughs> It's like I got 14 guns in my truck right now. Jesus. I just put one in your truck. Well, I'm not going to keep a guitar in my car. What about uh, that gun? Do you have the same, Kenny, what, do you have the same belief on Zeppelin since they basically ripped off every song they ever did? But with both acts, they both made the sound. In the case of the Eagles, it was producers changing the sound to make it more commercialized. But you've got to admit, what Zeppelin did to those blues songs is pretty oh, bleeping awesome. cool. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really yeah, cool. Really yeah. cool. Zeppelin 1 and 2 were. Excellent. It's just that they put the wrong name on the songs who wrote them. But yeah. aside from that, yeah. a little that, that was a little a, plagiarism. That was a cl- clerical on. error. That was nothing. <laughs> we lent it or borrowed too. It, it made for some very rich blues singers when they hit their seventies and eighties. Let's put it that yeah, way. When they ended right. up paying them off, at least they got paid somehow. Exactly. Uh, new high school student shenanigans to go with our technical age. Two freshmen at Secaucus High School in New Jersey used an app or computer program and successfully crashed the school's Wi-Fi network on multiple occasions. The reason? 
uh, they got out of taking exams because uh-huh. all the exams were on the internet. This is the, the, equivalent, the yep. equivalent to the in the 70s when we just called in bomb threats. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot easier <laughs> these days. Uh, these guys, uh, they maybe they should put their stuff to good uh, use instead of bad because they're only 14 and they figured all this out. Wow. Two 14-year-olds charged with computer criminal activity and conspiracy to commit computer criminal activity after school officials notified police. Uh, School Superintendent Jennifer Montesano said Monday our Wi-Fi connection was compromised over the past week. The system now has been restored and is fully uh, fully operational. Montesano didn't provide additional details, but added an investigation found the two students who were involved in the disruption. Since most of the school's curriculum is Internet-based, the lack of Wi-Fi connection disrupted the students' daily assignments. It is believed the two boys took requests from other students to bring down the network. Students interviewed Monday believed the boys used a Wi-Fi interrupter program to send so much traffic to the routers the system would crash, which ultimately caused connection failures when students tried to log. That's the on. one Gabe uses. Yeah, he it started with him buying a hoverboard on his parents' credit card. <laughs> Say, remember, DennisKirk.com, more than 160,000 products in stock for you and your bike. Doesn't matter what kind of bike, they have it. Free shipping on orders over $89. DennisKirk.com is the place. Here's a man who spends hours in hardware stores, sifting through the nuts and bolts of life. Joe Souchere. Remember yesterday we were wondering who pays the... I said I, I assume that Guinness pays the fee for the yeah. Guinness judge to fly around the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hans writes, it's my understanding that the person or group requesting acknowledgement as a world record, must pay for the travel and lodging of the person who will certify the record. And that bow tie guy downstairs is one Mike of the Marcotte, judges. Mike Marcotte, yeah. He's yeah, a, but, but the point kid. is, if somebody wants him to certify something, they're paying his freight, not Guinness. I don't hmm. have a problem with that. Right, either do I. And uh, uh, But I'm going first class. Mike Fenske wants to know, do the sirens wail in Gumption County if the watch turns into a warning? He's Good referring. Question. He's referring to uh, the conditions... Uh, are meriting a a, a a garage door opener watch for Friday, mm-hmm. although conditions seem to be weakening. Now, what happens if it hits seventy on Saturday? That's it hits seventy on Saturday. We're out of luck. We're not here, you moron. Forecast <laughs> looks like partly cloudy and sixty one for a high. Well, on Friday. the the uh, the watch remains in effect. Conditions could be possible, but it doesn't appear to be. Uh, likely. Is there any chance, uh, while well, I look something up on my phone, is there any chance we can do a pop-up GL podcast show live from someplace? Can we can we put um, a restaurant or bar on notice uh, and tell we're, them, hey, uh, we're working on that, actually. What if it happens this Friday? Are they ready now? We're... we're, we're Anticipating if that if that possibility exists, and are we going to announce to that folks ahead of time? Are we going to say like the week that the the seventy degree Friday is coming? Are we going to say, hey, yeah, we're uh, we're working on it? And Do we you put, intend to be there, or are you are not even going to be around? Well, that's actually the reason why I brought it up. I, oh. I want I want I want I want okay. notice. Long, I'll let you like know a month ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Well, I talk to God. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm with Kenny. I need a lot of notice uh, too. So. Yeah. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. There's Stop. nothing worse than oh, being in God. this town on a Friday. Oh my God, you people! <laughs> Would it be fair to say that the build up to the potential flooding, uh, at least in this region, 
Uh, would it be fair? Because I don't want to be inaccurate. Would, would it be fair to say that it was presented with that with that hint of uh, this will be as the result of of global warming, climate change, oh, or whatever? I, I didn't get that. Okay, you didn't no. because Did we're you? nowhere near any records. No. Last right. night I was watching an episode of the uh, of a series that PBS does occasionally, or local PBS. What's that called? Twin KT, Cities Public yeah. Television. Uh, Lost yeah. Twin Cities. Yeah. And I hadn't realized that the flood of 1952 in St. Paul is the flood responsible for wiping out the entire West Side Flats. Uh, uh, on the, when you get immediately uh, south of the Robert Street Bridge, that was a that was a neighborhood, the West Side Flats. The flood in 1951 completely devastated that, and uh, was at 20 feet or 25 feet. 1965 was 25 feet. Uh, was that a poor neighborhood, Joe? Yes. yes. Was that the like the Casetas? The uh, you know the no, that there was a, that was uh, upstream okay. on the other side of the river. That was on the north side of the river. Okay, that also got flooded out. Uh, and by 1965, that was also uh, essentially condemned. Mm. The flood of 1952 was the most destructive St. Paul has ever faced, displacing 5,000 people, causing millions of dollars in damage. It reshaped the city. Uh, the city has always felt the uh, threat of floods. Uh, 1881 was a previous record. Uh, several smaller floods. The 1881 flood was the benchmark by which all other floods were measured. It was a 19.7-foot crest that stood as the city's record until 1952. Uh, the impact of the 52 flood would be felt most acutely in two of the city's tight-knit immigrant communities, the West Side Flats, on the south side of the river, and Little Italy on the north okay. side of the river. The flats were directly across from downtown, while Little Italy was on the on the river's east bank in the shadow of the high bridge. They call it the east bank, I call it the north. Uh, real estate in these flood-prone neighborhoods was cheap, and they attracted many low-income families. Wow. Uh, their residents had plenty of experience with floods. The floods of 1951 had come within inches of the 1881 record, but nothing compared to what they would see in the spring of 1952, uh, just four days after reaching flood stage, the river rose to 20 feet, breaking the record set by the 1881 flood, and the word was yet to come. I'm sorry, the worst was yet to come. Floodwaters pushed 14 blocks into the west side flats and breached the sandbag dike that protected Little Italy. Uh, and then you get to 1965, it was a 25-foot crest. But uh, So sush. now this year, the, it's already crested. No, the 1965 flood crested at 26 feet and remains the highest flood in the city's history. Uh, this year, we've crested already, and it was 19.8 feet. What do you tell? What do you always tell us about natural disasters that happened 200 years ago compared to natural disasters that happen now? The difference is population. Right. With the ri- with the river, the difference is uh, what was that first flood? 18 1881. Uh, that river has undergone a lot of changes, mm-hmm. man-made changes since '81. So and I'm I, wondering if those man-made changes contributed at all to the uh, flooding in the '50s and then again in '65. No, it was still it, it crested at 20 feet in 1881. But do you understand what I'm saying? I, I do. I because do. they contained it more. They get they get rid of all the backwater. Well, one of the one of the results of the floods of '51 and '52. And 65 is that people stopped living there. 
in harm's way. Right. They got out of there. And, in, and today, we're better prepared for that type of flooding. In 1969, it crested at 25 feet. I don't remember that one. But I, to answer your initial question, Joe, look at the photo that Rookie just pulled up. This is down in Chaska. Yeah. See where the river is way back there? Yeah. They created those two dams on the side, and that ballpark is almost all underwater right now. Yeah. So there is some significant flooding that's taking place when down there. When was the most recent flooding down in Chaska? I seem to remember. 2010, 2011. But there was something in the 90s before they had that big berm yes. up in Chaska. Yes. Um, I don't remember what year exactly, but you're right. I'm going to say it was early 90s, 91 or 2, 3. Hydrologists speculate that man-made flood defenses are driving floods higher by preventing the swollen rivers from spreading out into their natural That's, flood plains. Yeah, exactly. Right but I just thought it was interesting. I love the sense winds. And, and I was unaware of the devastation of the flood of 1952, 1969. I was aware of 1965. What was that last sentence that you just... Uh, the hydrologists say that flood defenses caused the floods to go higher because so, the... Uh, the, the waters are not able to run out into their natural flood Meaning plains. that people protecting their own Yeah, so they property. spill over the edge of the bathtub. Okay. You get what I'm saying? I got you. The flood of 1952, this is from the uh, National Park Service. Uh, April 6 to 9, 1952, the rainy culmination of a year of unusually wet weather created the condition for the floods of 1952. Uh, April 12, the entire upper levee neighborhood and large portions of the lower west side are evacuated, leaving 2,600 families homeless. April 13, raging along at 20.4 feet, the Mississippi shatters its previous flood stage record of 19.7 feet, set in 81. Then you get to 69 and, seven, and 65, that was at 25 feet. Uh, you fellas see that picture I uh, posted on my Twitter last week of me mm. driving through yeah. the flooded road? Yeah. Yeah. They never did put a barrier up. They didn't? And that, that road that was underwater last week is finally uh, starting to reveal itself again. So now people in minivans and cars are going through there. But it was a very well-built road. It's solid. There's no mud under there. But I was getting tweets from people saying, I would have backed up and right. driven You're 300 not. miles out of the way to avoid that. <laughs> like, okay, idiot. I got an idea for you grill masters. Yeah. Rook, you're mm-hmm. a grill master. Hell yeah. You can go to Grunhofer's Old Fashioned Meats up on uh, Highway 61 yep. in Hugo. 125 different kind of brats, at least 125 different kind of brats. You know what you could do? You could have your own bracket. Oh, you could have a summer-long bracket. You could have a championship. You know, one one weekend you're doing an apple br- apple brat that is going against a chili cheese jalapeno. I can handle and then that. Then you got friends that got a, hill of, a jalapeno going against crab and butter. Then you got a Bloody Mary versus a wild rice. Uh, wild rice are they're fantastic. They got coolers and coolers full of pork brats, and they're so lean you don't boil these. They're no fat no. to win off them. These are handmade up at Grunhafer's Old Fashioned Meats. I'm telling you, it's 125. I think it's 125. Yeah. You could have a bracket. You could have a summer-long championship. Huge variety of jerky, all made there on site. 20 varieties of beef and chicken sticks. Full steaks. They'll cut the bacon wherever you want it. You want a little beef tenderloin? Yeah. You want it. They'll slice double-smoked bacon to your preference. Mm, you thick. want it thick for the grill? That's yep. how you get it. And if you're, you need any uh, you need any information, you talk to Spencer Grunhofer. Yeah, He's yes. a meat cutter. He's not going to hold back. He'll tell you what you're uh, going to tell you what you're going to do. You have questions, they have the answers from preparation to serving. They even carry a variety of seafood. And that's great because I love seafood. But if you want brats, start a season-long competition with your own bracket. Hey. The NCAA Final Four is here right. in Hugo. 
every time you have a uh, a brat off. Oh, it's just fantastic. We had them Sunday. So one day you got sauerkraut and cheddos going off uh, uh, ancho tequila. Yeah. You know, you got to have a bracket. You have, have bracket. to try them. They're I know wonderful. people say the, these gummy, uh, the, the gummy bear brats, you have to have a, uh, a taste for. Not every, it's not for everybody. But if you like them, you're going to buy them by the bag up there. Well, because it creates a little explosion of sweetness in yes. the middle of the broth. Yes. Yeah. It's good stuff. Say, that's uh, Grundhoffer's uh, and grundhoffermeat.com, and uh, they're up on uh, Hugo, 61. Highway 61. Say, uh, I got a little Trump news. Good or bad or indifferent? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to balance it out. Okay. Well, when we come back. Oh. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. It's the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Suchere. Well, it was in all the papers today. It was in the Wall Street Journal, and it was on a lot of websites. That uh, Rick Riley of Sports Illustrated. Uh huh. Or is he? No, he was former ESPN writer. He I also Rick did. Riley he's, was Sports he's, Illustrated. He was, he was. Sports yeah. Illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's got a book coming out. That, oh, uh, that Trump cheats at the highest level at golf. Oh golf. no. Golf. Is that a surprise? Well, yes. here's where I am on this. To me, Trump will do less damage to the United States than the Mysterians will. That's where I stand. Okay. Right now. That's that's yep. my position. Got it. He's a scavenger. He's a foul guy. He's unsavory. But he will do less damage to this country than rampant leftist socialist Marxist. Oh, kind of a sad way to have to look at I'm, our so government. Way I'm looking though, at it. current I, conditions. The yes. way I'm looking at it. I'm, uh, <laughs> although I didn't vote for him, I'm willing to take it further and say he will actually do more for this country mm-hmm. as opposed to less than any of these idiots. But it's okay. So now that I've given him my so-called compliment, yep. <laughs> where in the hell am I on this? You can't cheat at golf. It's the only sport. Where you don't cheat, oh, where one not? Of those guys. No, no. Hear me out. It's the only sport where not cheating is held in high reverence. All other sports, you could make the argument Give that cheating break. has <laughs> aspects of charm. It's uh. charming for Gaylord Perry to empty out a hardware store from his back pocket on the mound when he's getting rid of his nail file and his nail clipper and. Uh, you know, uh, in, in basketball, you cheat as part of the game plan. Foul. You foul to get the to get a chance to get the ball back. In football, you're always trying to do something: deflate Holding. the ball or put stick them on your gloves or whatever. That doesn't happen in golf. It just it can't happen in golf. And here, uh, I mean, Trump hits a ball in the water. Everybody sees it. His yep. caddy goes up and says, I found it. It's right here. It's on dry land. Nope. Everybody saw the splash. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. He's like Kim. He shoots 18 for 18 holes. And yeah. if you're not good at golf, just deal with it, and it's okay you to someone He claims beats. he's a 2.8 handicap. No, that tedious and tiquified attitude towards golf is what makes 
uh, people that are watching it on TV and they see a rule being broken and then they call the yeah. officials and then three days later somebody is uh, penalized a stroke because some nerd standing in his four-car garage on a Sunday afternoon because he doesn't have a life saw one thing that nobody else saw and when he got to his little radio show on Monday he picked up the phone wow. and do I have to continue? <laughs> to say Donald Trump cheats is like... <laughs> I think he's just going to continue. To say Donald Trump cheats is like saying Michael Phelps swims, Riley explains in the book. He cheats at the highest level. He cheats when people are watching, and he cheats when they aren't. He cheats whether you like it or not. He cheats because that's how he plays golf. If you're playing golf with him, he's going to cheat. Riley himself has played with Trump on several occasions. The former ESPN writer takes particular exception with Trump's claim to possess a handicap of 2.8. If Trump is at 2.8, Queen Elizabeth is a pole vaulter, Riley said. <laughs> the uh, book also details Trump's allegedly exaggerating or creating facts and figures about his golf course. According to the Post, Riley writes that Trump's course at Bedminster, New Jersey, boasts a plaque with a quote from course architect Tom Fazio that says, this is the best design I've ever done. <laughs> Fazio told Riley, yeah, he really didn't say anything like that. <laughs> All actor Samuel L. Jackson claims, we clearly saw him hook a ball into a lake at Trump National in Bedminster, and his caddy told him he found it. Uh, Riley also takes shots awesome. at the commander-in-chief for his shunning of golf etiquette. Specifically, and this is where I'm really out of trouble. <laughs> Specifically, Trump uh, apparently has the habit of not removing his hat during handshakes after rounds, in addition to not taking his hat off in the clubhouse. Ooh. Oh, you got to take your hat off. Riley's best explanation for these and other alleged failings, golf is like bicycle shorts. It reveals a lot about a man. <laughs> the book will be available in bookstores Today, he cheats at golf. Hmm. Man, that's disturbing to me. That's that's terribly. Do you suppose his caddy has one of those pairs of pants with a hole in it? So he walks up, <laughs> he walks up next to the pond and drops that uh, that ball through his pocket, through the hole, down his leg, and right out by. Oh, look at the here! Yes. Looky here! Oh, it's the great scene in Goldfinger, where Sean Connery found Goldfinger's ball. Oh, right, and he palmed put it in his pocket. Yeah, palmed yeah. it, and then he then at the end he. Pulls it out of the cup and says, wait a minute, Goldfinger, isn't this your ball? Yeah. And, of course, that caused Odd Job to take the head off a statue. Right. <laughs> and but wasn't the rejected title Coldfinger? Coldfinger. Coldfinger. Yeah. This reminds me, I listened to yesterday's podcast on the way in this morning, and you guys were talking golf balls, and you claimed... Kirkland. Yeah. Since when are you buying golf balls, pal? We all know you're in, on your hands and knees in the bushes <laughs> digging out range balls right. and pink balls. And I was given two sleeves. Balls. I was given two sleeves oh, of Kirkland. Okay, okay. I've never wife? personally purchased <laughs> okay, anything. thank you. By your very wealthy wife? <laughs> no, a friend of mine. Okay, uh, got okay. Me, so. And those $60 a dozen balls, you mark four, five, one, something. Pro V1? Yeah, Pro V1. I've, the only ones I play are the ones I find. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just wanted to establish that. I was looking last, I told you, last fall I was looking and I fell down the hill. And, and uh, Like that Jesus. scene in McClintock where they're fighting in a mud pit and everybody slides down into No, the I water. fell down into the weeds and the mud and the river's roaring and I couldn't get purchased to climb my way back up and I kept slipping back down. Well, you should have dropped the golf ball. And there's two guys waiting to tee off and they said, 
Falling on hard times, huh, Sue? <laughs> Quit showing off. I said, yeah, we just got fired. Timing is everything. Yeah. Say, one size rarely fits anyone. That's why you. Uh, that's why they have 10 choices for burgers in the Twin Cities. And that's why Federated Mutual Insurance Company tailors its insurance programs to select businesses and select industries. They're, they offer property and casualty life, disability income insurance. Their marketing representatives are the best. They love that company, Minnesota's own Owatonna. They get to know you, the business owner. They get to know how your operation works, and that allows them to customize the coverage you need. Uh, If driving is a significant part of your business, they'll talk to you about auto liability. If you're worried about a cyber attack, you might need data compromise coverage. That's kind of new in the books these days, isn't it? Your business is unique. You need an insurance carrier who treats it that way. So get in touch with a Federated Insurance Marketing Representative to see how their second-to-none service can help your business thrive. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Say, uh, Rads has a note. What's up, Tommy? I hope I didn't lose it. Where in the hell is it? Rads found a homeless encampment in St. Paul. But it's... Uh, Not off of 35E? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, above, the, it's above Shepherd Road... Mm-hmm. At uh, uh, thirty-five, okay, and there's tents on the edge of a sheer I saw vertical that. drop. I saw that. And Rads is worried that somebody's going to get up for the midnight bathroom run Ooh. and go right over the Ooh. edge. It's really steep. I mean, it's up above the freeway. Okay, what have we learned? It's not uh, a homeless. It's a problem. drug problem. That's probably a drug problem with some people who need help. And we're just going to come up with more, pro, you know, programs from the chief resiliency officer or whatever the hell we're calling these people in St. Paul. Well, uh, you know what? If you're out there, if you can provide me a photo of Russ Stark driving a bicycle, riding a bicycle, mm-hmm. I'll send you five bucks. I wouldn't He's St. Paul's chief resiliency officer. Yes. He hates cars. He wants to be, he's big on the bike lanes. Get me a picture of him riding a bike. I'll send you five bucks. All right, I'm going to do that right away. I'm not. I don't mean you. Oh. People, <laughs> people here are ineligible. Okay, families yeah. and their employees. You want to okay. come back with John Height? All right, let's. The best lawn on the block is a click away. Professionalturf.com. Let one of the ProfessionalTurf.com lawn care technicians stop out and analyze your lawn and then create a three- to five-step program that will keep your lawn free of weeds, crabgrass, and dandelions all season long. All you have to do, water and mow. It's that simple. They're locally owned, ProfessionalTurf.com. They've been serving us here in the Twin Cities since 1982. Wow. The best lawn on the block, it's a click away, ProfessionalTurf.com. Justice and the Suturette. You never would have got it anyway. Here's John Height. That was cheating. Thanks, Joe. 
The criminal trial of former Minneapolis police officer Mohamed Noor has begun. He faces murder and manslaughter charges in the death of Justine DeMond. She had called 911 in July 2017 to report a possible sexual assault in the alley behind her home. Noor and another officer responded. The officer shot DeMond after she approached the officer's car. Uh, yesterday, they were talking to prospective jurors. They were asked if they knew anyone of Somali descent, if they'd been treated unfairly by law enforcement, or if they associate with a group that claims superiority over other races. The list of 210 people who may testify was also released. The list includes medical examiners, forensic scientists, use of force experts, 911 dispatchers, and neighbors of demand. Witnesses will also include members of the Minneapolis Police Department, including Officer Matthew Herity, who was Noor's partner. A jury selection is scheduled to resume on Wednesday. John? Yes. Your presentation here is sponsored by ProfessionalTurf.com. We thank them. Thank you, Kenny. Pioneer Press reporting Maplewood Mayor Mary Lee Abrams held an emergency meeting Monday afternoon with the police chief, the city attorney, and the city manager. They're talking about options regarding the public safety risks at Myth Live Nightclub. The meeting came after a patron was treated for a drug overdose and an 18-year-old was shot in the neck. The parking lot outside the club, the condition of the 18-year-old who hasn't been identified, was upgraded Monday from critical to serious. Police have made no arrests in the case. Abrams said, it concerns me that in one night we had an overdose and a shooting. The city staff is putting together options today. She was asked if they'd consider closing the venue, and she said, I think it's premature to go there. Commander Dave Kavam of the Maplewood Police Department said he hopes the myth will take steps to curb violence. He said, we have an expectation that businesses serve as public safety partners, doing their part to prevent problems and provide for the safety and security of guests. Calls to the myth by the paper for comment were not returned on Monday. Hasn't there been a series of, over the years of incidents? I think they're yes. the Chuck E. Cheese's of rock venues. Yeah, there has been up there. Well, we have Nice reference, by the way. But how are those problems any different from the problems we have right here in Minneapolis? Well, I'm sure they're of, not. Outside of nightclubs. I think it just goes with the territory. Ameriprise Financial has agreed to sell its auto and home insurance business to a subsidiary of Wisconsin-based American Family Insurance Mutual Holding Company for $1.05 billion. Mm-hmm. A Minneapolis-based Ameriprise provides asset management, advisory services, and insurance products to its customers, including... Insurance products through its Ameriprise auto and home business that's based in De Pere, Wisconsin. That that's right? how you make some money in this country. you got to have something to sell. Yeah. <laughs> Bang! That building that's sold in downtown Minneapolis. 375 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's, doesn't that strike you as not enough? I don't know. I don't know what purpose they it was for it's sale. A, it's a big building. The Wells right? Fargo the, building. The it's estimate, though, was what two seventy six, or the the worth, the value was considered two seventy six. Well, it was bought out of foreclosure in two thousand twelve, and I don't remember what the price number was, but it was sold for three hundred twelve million just recently. The uh, the equity group brought it for. I don't know how they'll make their money. I mean, they got renters and so forth, but that's a huge building. I was looking at all the estates on the North Shore of Chicago, and I said to a guy, who lives here? And he says, guys who sold stuff. (laughs) Start up, sell it. Guys that were good sellers. So there's not a lot of radio guys living there? No, no, no. This is the fart joke division of yeah. the uh, radio estates. They're the maintenance guys that are working for uh, free. You know, I'll sweep up for you if I can live here. Uh, back to the Ameriprise story. If you are a customer of theirs, and I am, there should be a smooth transition, they say, on behalf of policyholders and other business partners. In a symbolic first, electric cars outsold fossil-fueled ones in Norway last month. Nope. 
<laughs> Christina Boo, the Norwegian Electric Vehicle Association's general secretary, said 58.4% of new cars sold in the country in March were battery-powered, calling it a historical high. There's nowhere to go in Norway. You got enough <laughs> charge to get you to the store and back. And what do you what do you eat every I, night for for your meal? Cod. Yeah, fish. I, mean, I just love it when you get dismissive. Yeah. It's just so it's awesome. It's the size of uh, you know Duluth Superior. <laughs> Everything outside of St. Paul, he's like, nah, whatever. <laughs> Boo added that electric car share of the market for the first three months of 2019 was 48.4 percent. Norwegians, what do they care? <laughs> yeah, she says she expects it to hover around 50 percent for the entire year. Norway, a wealthy European nation of 5.3 million people. Has Five, pro- that's, the, that's the metropolitan area population right here. Provide- give, me a, give me a Prius, too, if I'm living there. What the <laughs> hell? I ain't going anywhere. Has <laughs> provided big incentives to boost electric car sales. It waived hefty vehicle import duties and registration and sales taxes for buyers of electric cars. Owners don't pay road tolls and use bus lanes in congested city centers. Uh, the perks, however, are to be phased out in 2021. Norway's parliament has voted to require oh. that all new cars sold in Norway will be electric by 2025. Wow. Holy cow. You can get away with that in a country with 5 million people. Wow. Do we do we have any tax incentives here in this state? Or, yeah, every time you buy a Tesla, you get a break from the federal government. I, I uh, had to buy tabs this morning of an Alec before I came came here. Three hundred sixty six dollars. Well, what the hell? Well, at least it goes to a good organization like the Minlars program. Yeah. <laughs> uh, incidentally, I on the show I told you my son had been waiting nine months. Finally got his license. Yeah, nine months. After the fact. By the way, I've learned a lot about doing business out state. I was in and out of that service center, and I'm going to say four minutes. Seriously. Really? It was no so way. Oh, my goodness, John. It was so fast. I'm going to drive there just to get my so license. Fast. Hey, Kenny, you know I go to the one west of me. Yeah. I don't even come close to These people downtown. in small towns yes. know how to do it. The license bureau, uh, the uh, drugstore I go to up there, Walgreens, unbelievably good service. Wow. Get in, get your crap, Sears, and get out. Sears, uh, outstate. Sears, they're owned independently by no. small businessmen. Amazing to do business with those people. Natalia Foleva. Was that an update from the Krabby yeah, Coffee Shop? I was wondering about that myself, it. actually. Oh, I've got a whole oh, bunch you know, of... Kenny has his own walk-up music. Yeah. The only one on the show has his own walk-up yeah, he music. He does. Yeah, I've got a lot of info, too. Been, been a busy hey, week. Here's Kenny with news from the Krabby Coffee Shop. <laughs> We did duck nests on Sunday morning, Joe. You know what that means? No, you did some kind of dance? (laughs) Country dance? Have you ever seen duck nest hoops in ponds and swamps as you occasionally travel? uh, No, I don't don't believe in such a thing. (laughs) Do you know what wood duck houses are? Sure, little uh, split levels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, every year we have to refurbish the wood chips in the wood duck houses and put new flax straw in the uh, duck hoops. And we did that on Sunday with very, very sketchy ice conditions. Well, that song has never been been more fitting to Come bring him in. A couple of people got wet. <laughs> Did you say flax straw? What's that? Flax. Oh, uh, flax. Yeah, it, it just—it's very dry, and it doesn't. When it gets wet, it, it it sheds water. Yeah, Mold, it. Gets moldy if it's wet. Does no, it doesn't get moldy. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
But it's interesting, Joe. Weren't you the one complaining about snickering? Uh, I'm not snickering. I'm out loud laughing. Um, Tell me more about seed flax. There's no no ice on shore, but if you can get out to the uh, ice where there is ice, there's still two feet of ice. It's just a matter of getting to it. Hmm. All right, thank you. How do you you get to it, Joe? (laughs) Well, in the old days, I would use a plank. Yep, <laughs> uh, some sort of plank, and I would walk the plank sure. out to the ice, and then, uh, and then I'd get on an ice floe that started to go away, and my mother would come down in the front yard and say, "I have to go into town under pain of mortal sin. Get off that lake." <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> if I didn't get off the lake, I was going to go straight to him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and your dad? Well, he wasn't home. He didn't care. <laughs> Natalia Faleva, a co-owner of Russia's largest private airline and one of the country's richest women, died in a plane crash in Germany on Sunday. The 55-year-old Faleva was chairman and a major shareholder in S7, which began its growth in the 1990s and is Russia's second biggest airline after Aeroflot. Faleva ran S7 with her husband, Vladislav Filov. The airline rebranded from Siberia Airlines and painted its planes green after a 2004 plane crash caused by a terror attack. Single-engine Epic LT aircraft carrying her went down while approaching the airport at Eaglesbach, mm. southwest of Frankfurt, according to S7. Eaglesbach, a small airfield often used by passengers seeking discretion. German media reported three people were killed when the Epic LT crashed into an asparagus field and caught fire. The Epic LT was a private business aircraft run by S7 involved in an accident in 2015, while Falev was piloting the plane with an instructor on board, the landing gear at that point didn't deploy properly. The plane at that point landed on its belly. In that particular crash, she had no injuries. Speaking of asparagus, you're not going to hit it? Oh, I thought you were asking for something else. <laughs> no. Hold on. We're about a month away, Such. Hey, y'all. From what? From planting. Planting asparagus? asparagus? From planting, period. There's oh. still so much water and moisture and frost in the ground. We're not uh, We're not planting. To, it's going to be a late season this year. For about a month. Wonderful. <laughs> Let us know about Are you that. still bullish on this idea? Just so the there's uh, stuff at lunch. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm bummed because I'm not going to get corn in the cob when I want it. Because I want true. it now. You will. Have you ever everything. failed to get it? No, but this early crap sucks. It's no, 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 good. no, no. You're going to get your roadside corn. Don't worry about it. I but know, what he's but... saying, it's coming up from, you know, Nebraska. So what? Corn's corn. No, Oklahoma no. corn. We don't want Oklahoma. I like black corn. corn. I like black corn. I, I want like Carver corn. corn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will you help plant or no? No. Or no. Or no. I'm taking the or no option there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Massive fireball. I'm going to take and go. Okay. Okay. Go or no. I won't be driving truck. (laughs) No. A massive fireball soared into the sky in the central Utah desert after officials blew up 11 derailed tanker cars that had propane and biodiesel in them. How cool would that be? The controlled detonation Sunday night was the safest way to deal with the explosive material, according to Wab County Under Sheriff Brent Pulver. The derailment occurred Saturday when 24 of the 165 cars of a Union Pacific freight train went off the tracks. One car landing on its side was leaking propane. The conductor and engineer not hurting the derailment caused not immediately known. Nine rail tankers carried propane. Two had biodiesel. Officials had initially planned to move the rail cars but worried that the leaking propane could cause an explosion and injure the crew 
That's why they did the detonation. Has anybody seen any footage of this? I bet yes. it was. No. You have seen footage? It's very, well, I saw pictures. Not is the, petro, is the pictures. petrochemical fire in Houston out? It must be because the that news I has stopped know. talking about it. I haven't heard anything check, check about that it. Check that out. <laughs> Call up footage of these tankers being destroyed. I want to see that. And uh, what did that do to the environment, Mr. Sucher? Well, oh, it's devastating. It actually was all uh, okayed by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Really? So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, not a good prank when a firefighter sat down on a toilet seat at a city firehouse in Linden, Connecticut, in November 2015. He heard and felt an explosion beneath him from a workplace prank gone awry, according to court documents. Raymond Johns discovered at that point he was bleeding from the left side of his scrotum and a blood, oh. blood blister had formed. He also found the remnants. That it was not me. I Very discreet. Anything. Very discreet. Although I provided the warm-up act. <laughs> he also found the remnants. You really got to turn up the old podcast to hear that one. <laughs> hit pause and go back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, just back up a little bit. He also found the remnants. This is quite the newscast. I tell you. He also found the remnants of an exploded bang snap. You know what those are? Well, I the think sm- we just heard one. Right. <laughs> bang snap. The small uh, paper rack. Wrapped novelty explosives that pop when they're compressed oh, or thrown on the toilet. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're you know those. popular with the kids during yeah. the fourth. Yeah, I love them. Fellow firefighter Thomas Wengerter admitted placing snaps around the firehouse as a prank. He apologized immediately after the incident, but Wengerter uh, later denied he was the one who placed the snap on the toilet. But it damaged the jewel bag. Yeah, and uh, the fella Johns, who was hurt, sued Wengerter for her injuries. Uh, but the complaint was dismissed, and an appellate panel upheld that decision on Monday. Johns was diagnosed with a second-degree burn on his scrotum and a contusion of the left testicle. Hey, nurse, what does, what, does this look serious? Is this third or fourth? I think all of you should just take the rest of the week off. I'll come in. <laughs> Everybody? Yeah, I think it wasn't it you that not just, you, John. Wasn't it oh, you okay, that good. just provided that sound effect? Not, not me. No. I don't. There's do still that. some smoke coming out of the uh, plant in uh, Houston. All right, so Thank it's you. not fully uh, out yet. All right. It uh, <laughs> only took about a half hour. All right. I didn't know this. Well, it was of, a plume of smoke that I was trying to work through. Now, uh, tell me now: are there going to be? A, is there going to be an exhausting and endless stream of texts this afternoon and this evening about how good this show was today? Are you guys patting yourselves on the back about how good you are. When are you going back uh, to yes. the farm? <laughs> That's the first thing my wife asks yeah. me when I walk in. Well, I can identify with her. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> take them up to your duck nest or whatever the hell you're doing. With your flax straw. With your flax, your flax straw. Yeah. Uh, this kind of thing I did not know takes place. Did you know that we have airplanes in Russia, surveillance planes, and they have planes here? Uh, I did not know that. A Russian surveillance jet sits on the tarmac of Travis Air Force Base near Fairfield, California. It was first spotted last week and spent several days over the area. Why is that uh, plane here? Why, John? Why is it? Officials say the jet was flying with permission from the White House. I'd run out there and put a potato in the exhaust pipe. The (laughs) Russian plane. It's a banana in the tailpipe. The Russian plane has been flying over some of the nation's most sensitive military sites, places where even U.S. commercial jets are banned. Uh, There's a peaceful purpose to these missions that began in Northern California. It's all part of the Treaty on Open Skies between the U.S. and Russian Federation, which took effect in 1992. Under the agreement, unarmed military planes from both countries are allowed to fly over each other's territory. This jet, a Tupolev 154, 
is equipped with sensitive electro-optical cameras capable of taking high-res photos. Data from the plane's transponder shows it flew over downtown Sacramento on its way to Travis last week. It also flew over other strategic military sites on the West Coast. I don't like this. No, dropped, no, not at all. What's the air? What's the base in Nevada where they uh, keep the fifty one? Yeah, the aliens. So is that thing flying over fifty one? Well, as a matter of fact, it even took a trip, Kenny, north of Las Vegas, where the Nevada test site and Area fifty one are located. But then, in turn, we are doing the same thing you to are, them. You are correct. Yeah, but they got nothing to look at. <laughs> that's <laughs> just that's just your attitude because it's uh, not safe. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Didn't Putin say not too long ago they have the best missiles available? Available in yeah, the world. Yeah. That's what he said. But then anyway. the Russian plane banked east and dropped a little, uh, parachuted a little care package at the White House. Is that what it is? Where a slim pick and screwed up. Bomb and <laughs> went all the way down, whipping uh, it with his hat. Yeah. <laughs> the Air Force. That's a great that's, ending of a movie. It really is. I haven't seen that in a long time. Air Force has its own version of an open skies surveillance plane, and so far this year they've conducted three missions over Russian sites. The agreement is an effort by both countries to keep an eye on each other's military assets. But isn't this redundancy? Think about this, Such. Uh, we're already looking at them with satellites. They're mm-hmm. looking at us with satellites. So what's what's the point of this? This is all political uh, posture. It's a uh, it's just detente. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and President Trump now suggesting he will defer until after 2020 his push for a Republican health care plan to replace the Affordable Care Act. He tweeted late Monday night that Congress will vote on a GOP plan after the elections, uh, his quote now, when Republicans hold the Senate and win back the House. Republicans cooled the idea after Trump surprised them last week with an unexpected pivot to the issue and his claims the GOP will be part of health care. They don't yet have a comprehensive plan to replace the law. Trump's effort to repeal former President Barack Obama's health care law narrowly failed the Senate in 2017. And while Republicans gained Senate seats last fall, there's no indication that GOP senators want another fight over repealing Obamacare, especially those who are up for re-election. Health care, especially protections for people with pre-existing conditions, resonated with voters in the last election. Polls indicated it helped Democrats win in those November elections. John, that's fantastic. Uh, maybe you'll uh, have your guitar tomorrow. I will. In the event there's musical notes. I will have a guitar tomorrow. Musical well, news. Why can't you complete the crossword if you looked up the answers? Is that a, well, a crossword protocol? Yeah. I, I, well, aren't you on a quest for information if you're doing a crossword puzzle? That's no, no. It's, it's like it's, golf. It's like cheating at golf. Wait a minute. I do it all I, the time. I don't, know, I don't do crosswords. You mean to tell me you're sitting at your kitchen table, you can't look anything up? No, no, you don't use a crossword dictionary, you don't use a regular dictionary, you don't use a thesaurus, and you certainly don't go to the Google. My goodness. Well, you ask people things. It's okay to ask people, especially you dumbbells. Right, I looked it up right away and said Grover for 22 and 24. Yeah, and you gave me the answer, and now I can't can't finish it. Sorry, I'm going to have to call this. And the Tuesday crossword puzzles for dumb guys, so I I had my hopes up. There you go, you had Bush in there first. Which paper, Minneapolis? Star Tribune, yeah. Mm -hmm. GarageLogic.com is our I want to learn how to play website. bridge. <laughs> it seems really complicated. I know. East, West. East throws down a heart. And, uh, I don't know what it is. Just play bridge, Jen? West retaliates. No idea. Yeah. Just it's play like war, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's wrap up this stuff. We've got podcasts galore. We've got back podcasts what online. About, what about this other one? GarageLogic.com. Sudoku. Oh, those are fun. I know how to do that. I can, I'll show you the answer That's to that. It's also very Just complicated. Just look them up. What we're doing here is blurting over rookie. Exactly. Wrap so it stop up. it. GarageLogic.com. Don't forget about... 
Table Talk with Rookie's Family, the sister podcast of Garage Logic, growing. Catch you next time, Garage Logic podcast version. We plug each other on both shows. Yeah, it's okay.